So if you would, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you definitely, definitely need to go there today on your phones, or um, we, we definitely want to look at, we're going to look at actually this whole chapter. Some of the verses we'll go through pretty quickly, um, and then some of them will we'll really go verse by verse. And if you have your booklet, turn to page 27, or if you scan the code around you, um, have somebody take you to to page or flip down to page 27 and we're on lesson five the reality of temptation let me start by giving you a quick reminder of where we've been because it's been a number of weeks since we've been back in first corinthians but i'll I'll just pick up where we've been this semester and that is do you remember early in the semester we were talking about christian liberty and our conscience and and really the idea of that part of the discussion was how do we respond to other believers and we're going to revisit that again in this chapter so how do we respond to other believers. And remember, it's not about our liberty. Our liberties are actually an opportunity to serve others and to glorify God. So that's the summary of all of that. And we spent weeks and weeks and weeks going through that. And then the last time that I was up, we talked about biblical self-control, which is how do we respond to ourselves? Like how do we practice self-control? Because we all have self-control around the things we're the most passionate about in life. So we looked at the Bible and what it said about that in verse 9. And then today, we're talking about how do we respond to God when it comes to areas of temptation. So let me ask you a question to start. And then I'm going to ask you another question in just a minute. The question in just a minute is going to be, what areas of life are you tempted in? So I want people to be brave and to offer thoughts there. Because that's what helps each of us um, grow as we understand where each of us are. But do you ever get tired of being tempted. Do you ever get tired of temptation happening in your life? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so we all do. In fact, there's usually three responses to that question. Response number one is often yes, because I fail all the time when I'm tempted. I'm constantly, constantly failing. Um, response number two is that I am often struggling with it. So response number one is I often fail. Number two is I'm often struggling with it. But you know, the number three one, and this is the one where I really want us to to push into this one, is a lot of you are like, I'm not really tempted that much. You know, like I I don't really get tempted that much. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be. Because temptation is an incredible opportunity to honor God but if you don't have the wisdom to recognize temptations in your life, like what, what, the tempted to be thinking a certain way, temptations towards idolatry, temptations towards the things we're going to look at in this, in this passage, you're missing an opportunity to grow. So that's my, that's my question. We all are tired of temptation. We all fail. We all get all that part of it. But I guess really my question as we, as we start is, are you really recognizing temptation the right way? And are you willing to address it? And this passage addresses it in two ways. Very practical ways to fight temptation. So we're going to go through some incredibly practical steps from this chapter on how do you fight temptation. And then the other side in this chapter are spiritual ways to fight temptation. Spiritually, because I think a lot of times with temptation, we just say, I'm going to put barriers and accountability up and that's going to solve everything. And that's really not what's going to solve it. Because there's a spiritual battle that happens with our temptations. So those are the two points today. Practical ways. Spiritual ways. So with me so far? You ready? All right. First Corinthians chapter 10. 
We're going to start with the first five verses because I want to just give you a quick background. Um, and, and it's real simple, practical ways to fight temptation. We learn from God's word. We learn from the past. And here we're going to learn from God's people. It says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. And that, by the way, that's the answer to that third question. Remember, I talked about how many people are just unaware of their temptation. Like, do you, do you simply numb yourself out of temptation? Or do you recognize it, address it, and fight it? So he's starting off the chapter, don't be unaware. So he says, I, want, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And then they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. That's an important statement because in a little bit later in the chapter, that's actually going to connect back to the Lord's Supper. So this is before Christ. This is before the the Lord's Supper was established in the Old Testament. We have this idea of deep connection to Christ. So this is what you need to remember about our past, this deep connection to Christ. Because it says that same spiritual food, the same spiritual drink, um, for they drank the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So they're looking forward to that that, um, death to that, that sacrifice of Jesus. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So when we look at the past, we see here that even though they drank of that drink, they ate of that meat, they were connected to Christ. He was their foundation. That's what the Bible's talking about here, this deep connection. They still failed. They still failed in this area of temptation. So that takes us to point number two. We're gonna look at the five verses that talk about the different area of weaknesses um, and is it getting, is it warm in here at all? Yes. CJ, can you check, is CJ here? Is he gone? What? Can, can you check? I, I thought I'd turn the AC on. If not, maybe we can crack open that, that door. Um, but sometimes I see the boring glaze, like you're bored and you're glazed over because you're really bored, you know? And you kind of fall asleep. And then sometimes I see the warm glaze, you know? And this was more like, a warm Krispy Kreme donut, like putting you to sleep glaze. So we'll try to, we'll try to get the, the AC going. Um, so let me ask you guys, where, and, and I want some feedback right here. Where are you guys tempted? Like, where are you tempted? What are some areas of life that you are tempted in? Let me answer one because it, we're going to get to the five that are listed here. But let me just go ahead and talk about the sexual temptations. You know, like that's just one that people maybe are thinking, but they don't want to say. So I'm going to answer that one first. And we're going to talk about that one because it's talked about in the Bible. So, yes, there are sexual temptations that you face. But it's not just the sexual temptations to act out on it. Sometimes you can be tempted to think the wrong way about sex. You can, be, you can be tempted to think that that is a pathway to peace and fulfillment. And really what God says about it, and we talked about this last year a lot from 1 Corinthians, is that sex is a gift from God. And we're to steward that gift really, really well. So sometimes the temptation is to not think about sex the right way. It's to think about it in a dirty, bad, it's evil. And yes, I struggle with it, but it's really evil. So we need to put it over here. And my God says, no, no, it's this beautiful gift. And you need to steward that the right way. You need to think about that the right way in the right context. So that one's the most uncomfortable one. So we've put that one on the table. What else are you tempted with in life? 
And think about beyond just sin, like, like, like well, they're all kind of potentially sins, but, but temptations. So somebody start raising your hand, give me some feedback here. What are you tempted with, Rosemary? Yeah, tempted to, how, how do you spend your time? You know, temptation to not spend your time wisely, um, or to think that your time is all about, like, you, like it's, it's yours, right? Well, is your time really yours, or is it something that God's given to you? So the temptation is to think about, I'm going to get all the things done so that I can spend my time doing what I want. So that the way you think about your time is, is tempted to think about it the wrong way. That's a great one. What else? You guys aren't tempted at all. Gossiping. Say it one more time really loud. Gossiping. Gossiping. Yeah, tempted to, tempted to gossip about people to say, wait a minute, if I make people, if I put people down, that builds me up. Good, good, good. Somebody's over here. Yeah, Bennett. Really good. So this is, one, this is one of the five that we're going to talk about. It's an idolatry. It's putting our identity in something other than Jesus. How many of you attempted to do that? Your identity and your acceptance from others? Um, really good. And we, there's a lot of places we could go with that one. So I don't, want to, I don't want to name a bunch because there may be some other ones. But yeah, tempted to have a misplaced identity. What else are we tempted with? Oh. Cheating on a test. <laughs> um, so you're tempted to cheat on a test. Are you cheating on a test? Is that the temptation or is the temptation to say, wait a minute, I, I have to get a good grade because I have to get a good job because I have to please my parents because I didn't study and I don't want people to know I was lazy. You know, those are, there's a lot of complexities to that. Where else are you tempted? We'll go to the back and then we'll go up here. Anna. Very good. A temptation to grumble and complain. That's one of the five that we're going to talk about today. And really, let's just talk about it right now. When you grumble and complain, and by the way, that's a respectable thing to do at times, right? There's always something to grumble and complain about. What you're often doing, according to to God's word, is that you're challenging God's wisdom, his grace, and his goodness. So when you grumble and complain, it's a much deeper heart issue than what you actually think. Really good. Where else are you tempted? So we're going to go, Will, here, here, here. Wait, Will, were you? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey. Finding security in like earthly possessions. Yeah, finding security and value in money and earthly possessions. Um, and, and money is a liar. It will tell you you will feel good if you have me and you will be fulfilled and it does not work. So, yeah, Nate? Uh, anger. Yeah, anger. Tempted towards anger. Um, anger, bitterness. Um, Ellie? It's like over-isolating and think that I, thinking that I don't need anyone. That's a really good one. She said um, over-isolating and thinking I don't really need anyone's help. I can figure this out myself or I can mourn on my own or I can, you know, I can... Fulfill this in my own my own strength. So, self centeredness turning into apathy for other situations. Really good. So self centeredness, um, and therefore, because somebody didn't do something the way you feel like it should be done, or God didn't put circumstances in your life that you felt like you deserve to have, you can actually pull away from God. You can be self centered. Luke. It's a really good one. I don't know if you guys heard it in the back, but using your past 
as a get out of jail free card. I'll probably steal that from you at some point. Like that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, because my parents treated me this way, I can therefore live in depression. I can therefore be angry because I was hurt. Um, and you guys have heard me say this before. Your earthly parents will always disappoint you. Like that, that, like, you know, my mom disappointed me because she passed away, like, you know, last month, you know, and that hurts, right? You know, I mean, that, that's like this hurt that happens and she doesn't control that. But sometimes your parents and their sinfulness, they don't control that. Your parents will hurt you. Others will hurt you. And the idea that you can hold that as a reason for bitterness, um, very good one. Maybe one more. Is there one more that somebody has, Paul? Excellent, excellent. To have too high of a, you're tempted to, to think too much of yourself. Um, and that one is the, that's the private one that we would never say. Like as good Christians and, and good conservative Bible, you would never actually say that, you just think it. Um, um, but the one of having too low a view of yourself, that's the one we often say. You know, we think it's, we think it's humility. It's really a false, a false humility because you don't have a confidence in what Christ has done in your life. Because if you have a confidence of what Christ is doing, you're going to share his word. You're going to be willing to take that risk to go out um, and, and, um, and live for God um, in those ways. So really, really good. So let's look at what this passage says. Let's go through these next five verses because you summed up most of them already. Look at verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So if you're filling in the blanks in your book, the first one um, is, is lust. It's desiring after things of the world. That's that idea of evil. Like I'm desiring after the things of the world, lusting after those things. That doesn't have to be, the idea there's not necessarily sexual lust. It's kind of what Henny said. It's kind of like, wait a minute. Are the things of the world going to be what fulfills me, what brings me peace and happiness? Now, one of the phrases that they say in each of these verses is, Either, either as they did or as they were. So I want you to make sure you, you catch that as we read it. So that was number one. Look at verse seven. Number two, uh, the number two thing that's highlighted here is do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. So the, the second one, the idea of idolatry is elevating anything over God, whether it be whether it's good things or bad things. It's really finding your identity in something other than God. It's what Bennett talked about. Um, it's when you elevate something, like like you say, this is who I am. And the reason why I like that is this is the one time where it wasn't something they did. It's who they were. The Bible says all the other ones that we look at are talking about things that they did. This is who they were. They were idolaters. So my question for you guys is, what is it that you find your identity in? What is your idol? What is your idol? Um, And and that's not necessarily an awful or bad thing. It could be finding your identity in a relationship. It can be finding, you know, for for me, it would be finding my identity um, in my job or as a parent, you know, and, and once you have kids, you're not really your own person anymore. You're like, oh, you're Abby's dad. You know, that's kind of, you know, th- we get these identities. But if you're not careful, that can become idolatry. So, so that was the second one is, is idol- the third one is sexual sin. Look at verse eight. Verse eight says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Can I just say this about sexual sin? It has devastating consequences. 
It has devastating consequences. In fact, Paul says this earlier in Corinthians. Every other sin that you commit is outside of the body. But when you commit sexual sin, that's the one sin that where you sin against your own body. Well, there's a lot of other sins that are against the body, right? You know, overeating, not taking care of yourself, all those things. But there's something very powerful about sexual sin. And sexual sin can be wrapped up in so many parts of who you are. It can be so addictive and it can be so devastating that 23,000 of them fell in one day. Can I just challenge you as you leave for break, my friends, guys and girls, <laughs> this, a lot of us think that that's, this is a guy problem and it's not. It's not just a guy problem. But if this, if you're experiencing some of the early onset devastating consequences of sexual sin, you need to get help. We're going to talk about how do you fight these temptations, but you need to get help. Um, Again, this first area, we're still in that. Remember, there's practical and spiritual ways to fight temptation. On the practical side, which is what we're in right now, you need to know what you struggle with. Do you struggle with sexual sin, with idolatry, with lust? Um, Verse number nine is the next one. It talks about us putting God to the test or trying God. It says we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents. Do you put God to the test? Do you push the limits with God? That can be pushing the limits with your Christian liberty. That can also be pushing your limits with, wait a minute, I am going to do certain things so that God doesn't have control of my life. You know, God, if I get up every morning and I pray and have devotions, I can spend the rest of my day doing whatever I want to because I, I did this little one thing that like served you. You know, that, that's not what God wants from us. He, he wants our lives. And then the last one here, we already talked about, talks about complaining. Verse 10 says this, nor grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Um, so if we're looking for practical ways to fight temptation, figure out what you struggle with. That, that's the first one. Um, also seek God's word. Um, and I think, the, I think that's, that's pretty clear. I'm going to keep going because I want to get um, to the end and I don't want to keep you too long. Um, the, the fourth thing there is remember the time frame that, that we live in. Um, and if you're taking notes, you should write down past, present, and future. So remember the time frame when it comes to fighting temptation. In verse number four, it talks about um, that they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Christ is our foundation, and he faced these temptations first. You know, um, Pastor Bookman talked about this this morning, about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. That should be an encouragement to you, that, that Christ went through the, the, that temptation period that was very intense. Um, that should actually give a proof as to why you don't want to try to eliminate temptation in your life. You can't. Even though that's what we all want. That's why we numb ourselves away from it. And we kind of think, well, I'm not really tempted there. I'm not tempted there. And really what you're not recognizing is that temptation. But you cannot numb it away. And you cannot eliminate temptation as much as we all would like to. Like I hate facing the temptations I face. But you can't eliminate them. You can only allow God to grow you to help you respond. And over time, as one temptation fades, another one joins right in. Right? And, and in that process, all of those are opportunities to point back to that spiritual rock, to point back to what Christ has already done. So he has already created a foundation for us to rest on. But look what he's currently doing. Now we're going to get into some pretty familiar verses. Um, something I'd love to do as we go through Corinthians is there are certain verses that, that we hear, that we've heard taught, grown up. Like I'll give you one that we're going to close with in just a little bit. 
Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do. So everybody has heard that verse in some context or another. But have you ever heard it in the right context? Do you know what the context is in this chapter? That's what we're going to get to in just a minute. But these next few verses, let's make sure we understand them in the right context. So look at verses 12 and 13. It says this. Um, Well, let me start in verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, that verse right there, most of the time, I would say we've heard that verse taught in in the area of pride. Right. Like 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 if you're if you're a proud person, take heed because you're going to fall. But really, the context of this is really when it comes to temptation. It's really talking about, are you aware of the temptation that's coming? Are you aware of the temptation that you faced? Um, So verse 12, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Recognize that through Christ and the fact that he faced temptation in a very practical way, we can also face temptation. Um, and then the last thing, a very practical way to fight temptation is include other people in the fight. We call this accountability. Like getting accountability is very practical because no temptation has taken you that is not common to other men. You know, other people have faced the temptations you're facing. That's why we need one another in this fight. That's why we need one another to be able to respond right to these temptations. So that's our first side, the practical side. You guys are doing great. I'm trying to get through it because I know you're all warm. So stick with me. Um, You're doing great. So the practical side of fighting temptation um, is, is learning from the past, understanding where you are weak, understanding where you are tempted. Is it lust, idolatry, sexual sin, trying God, complaining? And then remember that both the past, present, and the future, Christ has allowed for us to be able to pass through those temptations and involve other people in the fight, accountability. So let's go to the second piece, and that is spiritual ways to fight temptation. What are some spiritual ways that we are called to fight temptation? Number one is you need to remember your God. Remember your God. So if you have your book read, you'll turn the page. We'll get to the second one there. Spiritual ways to fight temptation. Remember your God. Remember who he is. So look, look with me, if you would, at verse 13. Very, very well-known verse. Very powerful verse. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. So the first way that you spiritually fight temptation is you remember this promise from God. When you're tempted to despair, when you're tempted to not believe that God is caring for you, when you're tempted to believe that you're not going to be able to pay your school bill, right? You know, I had a conversation with one of you this morning about that challenge. Um, When you're tempted to think no one will ever love me, that I will never find the right relationship. When you're tempted to think I'm not going to make it through school. When you're tempted with sexual sins. When you're tempted to find identity in something other than Christ, you have to remember that God is faithful. And not only is he faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this is another key point about temptation. 
You can't eliminate it, but you can get through it. Like God will provide a way for you to get through it. Um, That getting through it is an opportunity for God to be glorified. So don't ever forget that. Like it's not about you fighting this temptation. It's about God doing a work to where when you look at the end of it and you say, I was so broken in this area and I faced this temptation so much that no 12-step program got me through. No texting a friend accountability got me through. But I looked back on it and God is the one that made this way for me to get through this temptation. And then who gets the glory for that? It's not, it's not you. God gets the glory for that making of the way. So remember your God. He is completely faithful um, and he will carry you through. Because of that truth that God is completely faithful and that he will carry us through. Can I give you one more little admonition? Don't be consumed with your temptations. Like, like, remember there's three responses. Some people are just absolutely overwhelmed with them all the time. And, and, and some people, yes, face them. And then others don't really recognize all that they should in terms of life. If you are absolutely consumed with your temptations to despair, your temptations to not trust, you're missing the fact that God is faithful. He will carry you through. Now, verses 14 through 22, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to um, kind of skip through those. They are incredibly, incredibly powerful, powerful verses. Um, and, and I feel like if we try to take a minute to talk about them, I'm not going to do them justice. But can I encourage you, if, if this is something um, that resonates with you in terms of temptation, go back and read verses 14 through 22, because the key idea there is talking about idolatry. And it's the idea that we need to stop worshiping the world because we are connected to Christ. And he uses the illustration right here of the Lord's Supper, of that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are, we are making a connection to who Jesus is and what he has done. And it's like in the Old Testament where it says they drank of the same spiritual drink and they ate of the same spiritual food. And that, and that spiritual drink and food was the spiritual rock. It was, it was Jesus. And so here it's talking about making that same connection um, and, and not, not succumbing to idolatry is really, is really the idea there. Um, so, so that is that, that next point. Um, but I want to get to this next one, verse 23. So spiritual ways to fight temptation, if you're taking notes and you don't have it in front of you, number one, remember your God. He's completely faithful and he will carry you through. Number two, stop worshiping the world. That's verses 14 through 22. Stop practicing idolatry and remember that you are connected to Christ. And then point number three is to weed out the unnecessary items in your life. Weed out the unnecessary items in your life. Look at verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Um, Now, I'm going to kind of go there. And please don't. Don't, I know that we all get, you know, we hear stories about social media and how, you know, and, and it's always, that's always the illustration we use. Um, but I, I want to at least bring this up. How many of you are on Spotify and you heard this week your annual summary? All right. So, okay. Was anybody else a vampire like I was? Y'all, you bunch of vampires. Um, and, and I think I was a vampire because of like praise and worship music. Is that what made me uh, like a vampire? Um, does anybody have any guesses on what my number one song was? Now, and let me give you a hint. 
so a lot of you have been to the lake with us. We love going to the lake. So my, my playlist is the one that's connected to the lake, um, you know, on the boat. <laughs> CJ's laughing back there. Um, does anybody have any guesses on what my number one song could possibly have been? You're all too scared to guess. You're like, I can't guess. It's... Ellie, do you have a guess? No. Any brave soul that wants to guess? Kate. <laughs> All right. No, but that's a really good guess. That's from the Karate Kid. You know, that's, I didn't surf enough this summer. That's like my surfing song. So it was Gordon Ramsay before I knew it. Like, does anybody know that? Did somebody guess that? Did I say it right? That's, that, that's one of my daughter's favorite songs. So that's why. Mason Ramsey, sorry, not Gordon Ramsey. <laughs> clearly, clearly it is not my favorite song. The good news is I just woke all of you up, all right? You're all awake. But my favorite genre was praise and worship, you know, City of Light, um, all those things. So that was... Um... Now, Bert, where were you even going with that illustration? Like... You know what's amazing is how many thousands of hours we would sit and listen to music or maybe watch TikTok um, and, and, and yet neglect often reading God's word, walking with the Lord. You know? And I'm not saying you should not listen to Spotify at all. Um, that's not, that is not at all what I'm saying. Because it's, nothing that, it's not necessarily good or bad. But is, is some of what you practice in life unnecessary things? Because if you fill your life with unnecessary things, your temptation you know, meter will rise and rise and rise. Because you're always going to be tempted to chase after unnecessary things. So that, that's really what that verse is talking about. All things are lawful, which means you can listen to Spotify and Mason Ramsey and Before I Knew It um, and all that, that stuff. But is it helpful? All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So friends, this is where wisdom has to come in. Do you want to be able to fight temptation in your life? Have wisdom to recognize what are the important things? What are the important things that I'm spending my time pursuing? So that, that's number one or number, um, number three under spiritual ways to fight temptation. Weed out the unnecessary items in your life. Um, and then number four, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Focus on others first. Focus on others first. There's two types of people that we're going to read about in this passage, and then I'm going to ask you a kind of a trick question. You kind of know me. You kind of know I give you trick questions. Um, but we're going to read about unbelievers and believers, and we're going to talk about how do you love them in this area of Christian liberty. So, to this, And by the way, this is building up to verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, so spoiler alert, that verse is not talking about, okay, I'm about to have lunch, and I'm going to eat to God's glory. What it's talking about is wisdom in practicing your Christian liberties. That, that is what that verse is talking about. Whether you eat the meat or you don't eat the meat, how do you make those decisions? And you're thinking about other people first. So, if, so please go to the Bible and let's look at this. Look at verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So don't seek your own good, but the good of your neighbor. And now there's two neighbors right here in this next passage. A believer and an unbeliever. And it starts off with an unbeliever, okay? And by the way, the question I'm going to ask you in just a minute is if there's a conflict, 
There's a conflict. Do you, do you allow the unbeliever to win or the believer to win? All right. Do you allow the unbeliever to win or the believer? This would also be a really good lunch discussion today among your friends. Okay. So verse 24 talks about there's two neighbors. And now we have the illustration. Verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. So it's talking about, do we eat the meat offered to idols or not? So here Paul says, eat the meat. And then he says in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Okay, so let's stop there. When you're caring for your neighbor, number one, when it comes to non-believers, don't offend them by trying to moralize them. Don't offend them by trying to moralize them. We must be very, very careful in our country. When you leave a college, and most of you go to a Christian college or you're heavily influenced in a Christian dynamic, um, when you leave and you start being more and more and more with people from the world and things like politics step in to those discussions, we can often become so consumed with moralizing the world around us that we fail to show them Jesus. This is also true when you're a parent. One of the greatest temptations as a parent is to moralize your kid. It's to make your kid act a certain way because that's what makes mom and dad happy. Or that's what makes Jesus happy. Now, you know, like I, we used to do that with our kids, and we probably still do some. Like, like you know, when they're little, like, oh, don't you want Jesus to be happy with you? You know, then you should not, you know, you should not cry in the grocery store when you don't get candy. Like, is that what's going to make Jesus happy with them? But you should be careful not to moralize your children one day. You should actually teach your children, you're a sinner that needs Jesus. You know, don't try to moralize them into action. Let me just give you one illustration, and this is going to. I do not want this to turn into a political debate at all. I I, I want you to know where where I stand. I am very much against abortion. And I am very much in favor of restrictions from abortion. And I'm very involved with a local abortion ministry um, that really tries to rescue women from looking at that as an option. But if we get too vocal with that, and I'll give you an example. I remember one time going by a church, and they had all all these little... um, you know, uh, remembrances out in the ground in front of the church. And then there was a huge sign that said, this is how many babies were aborted in the U.S., you know, last year or something. And it had, you know, and it was pretty overwhelming to see. Well, I think it's good to to, to make sure we highlight that with people. But guess what you just told every girl who is struggling with having had an abortion? You know what you just told them? You probably don't want to come to church here. Like this probably, this probably isn't the place that you necessarily want to come to church um, because it's not our job to moralize people. It's our job as Christians to point them to Jesus and to disciple them. So here it's saying if an unbeliever is eating the meat that was offered to the idols, you, you eat the meat. Um, and I know your debate, what you want to do now is you want to debate, what does that mean? Like, does that mean like, you know, how far does that go? Like, what if an unbeliever wants me to go somewhere that's really bad? That, that's not what this is designed for. What this is designed for is how do you care for people without trying to moralize them? So eating the meat and not eating the meat is what the Bible says is that that's not a thing. Like this meat does not carry some kind of magical God or anti-God thing. 
Are we good so far? Is that making sense a little bit? Um, so, so if you say, well, Bert, does that mean, you know, I can go out and party and have sex with people because I don't want to offend, offend them? The answer is no. You know, like let's, let's, let's not get into those, those crazy, um, those paths. Um, but then we have the second illustration. So that was the unbeliever. That was the unbeliever. Now we go to the believer. So look at verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice. So now it's talking about a believer. This has been offered in a sacrifice. If someone says to you that, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of their conscience. And then verse 29. So now if we get to the debate, if we get to the point where it's like, do we offend an unbeliever or a believer? You, you actually offend the unbeliever. If you get to a point of contention, you actually look at a believer and you say, you know, Ellie, even though you, even though I know eating the meat is, is okay, if you have a problem with eating the meat, I'm not going to eat the meat out of my love for you as a Christian sister. I'm not going to do it. This is an incredible, what the Bible later talks about, this is an incredible testimony to an unbelieving world. Is what they do is they look at that and they say, how do these people who are very different, how do they love each other that way? Like, how do they serve each other? And it's because there's something supernaturally that they're following after. There's so much more to say there, but we're going to keep going. Um, so we, we actually do not offend the believer. We do not offend the believer. We don't eat the meat. Lots, lots, and lots of wisdom um, needs to be applied here. Um, and then, Paul, look at what he says in verse 29. I do not mean your conscience, but his for why should my liberty, now he has two questions. Why should my liberty be, to be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, eating the meat, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And then he gets to this very powerful verse. So whether we eat the meat or not, whether we drink or whatever we do, we do it for God's glory. We do it for the glory of God. And verse 32, don't give offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. You see, I think often when we hear that passage, do everything to the glory of God, we have this idea that we are going to please God if we like do certain things and we don't do certain things, like we're gonna bring, we're gonna please God. And what God is really saying is your actions of loving one another, how you practice your Christian liberty, that, that love for each other, that actually is what's pleasing to me. That actually is what glorifies me, and it doesn't glorify you for you making all these right decisions. I think sometimes we think God's glory is really our glory. Like, I'm going to make all these right decisions, and because I listen to a certain music or because I act a certain way or go to a certain church, I'm the one that's pleasing God. God is pleased when he sees Christians loving each other the way they should. And when he sees you reaching out to the world the way you should, it's both. It's both of these things together. So realize we need to share that with Christ. And then Paul closes with, with a pretty famous verse. And I've talked about this a lot with you guys. Verse, um, chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me. Would you ever say that to somebody? Would you ever in your discipleship group or your community group, would you ever go to another Christian and say, Aletheia, you know, Bert, she would, she would actually come to me like, Bert, Bert, you need to imitate me, right? Like, like, and, and how I practice my Christian liberty and in how I, we would never say that 
So why is Paul saying it? Do you see what he closes with? Be imitators of me, for I'm following after Christ. That's where this confidence comes from. Um, I'll close back with what Paul said, is that often we're tempted to either think too high of ourselves or too low. And what the Apostle Paul's saying here is that when you imitate me, I'm following Christ. And when I follow after Christ, I face temptations the right way. I love people the right way. I respond the right way. And when that happens, when you face temptation the right way, you glorify God. You glorify God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can be together, even though it's warm. Uh, thank you for um, the great attention from this group. And as we, as we leave, as we go out, as we, many of us will, will be all over the country traveling and, and away from each other the next few weeks, I pray that you would protect and I pray that you would provide a way of escape for the temptations that many are going to face, the temptation to, um, to seek after our own pleasures, um, the temptation to despair. Um, God, help us to realize those temptations are opportunities to glorify you. And God, help us to face those the right way. Help us to practically fight those, to understand where we struggle, but then spiritually see you as a God who is faithful to us even in the midst of those temptations and trials. We love you. I ask you to go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.